0: ABC Listen podcasts, radio, news, music, and more. What
1: are you going to do if they're starting to crack down on that? Netflix has started charging for sharing passwords. You, the look of absolute fear on Netflix- your face. I've got my
2: own. I've got a, the only one I've got is Amazon Prime from bangfan <laughs> Thank you so much, Georgia. I think it is Georgia. You're Hang
0: on. Hello. Hello Dan.
2: I can see you in the flesh. In the flesh. In the flesh. Woo woo. <laughs> Is that actually a song? Yeah, it's oh. a Blondie song.
1: <laughs> oh my God, you're right.
2: In the flesh. <laughs> woo, woo woo. Great song.
1: Now, keep going. <laughs>
2: no, I don't think people need to hear me sing this early in.
1: It has been months since we sat know. in the same studio together because you've been on the road with Rocky Horror and you're finally back. We're both back from Europe, I know, having You've been just jetted over to the UK. London. We've been working, um, and you are back on stage. I saw you last night on stage at the Melbourne premiere of Rocky Horror. It was so good. It's a hoot, isn't it? It's, it's fun. It's, it's absolutely wild. There were so many things where I was like, I don't remember this. <laughs> I've never seen the stage show.
2: Oh, I've only ever seen
1: the film, so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I don't remember this at all. <laughs>
2: no, and it's I, don't know, I do remember when my brother came to the show, and I think he was the same. He was like... What the hell was that about? (laughs) I think you forget how absolutely just off the charts bonkers it is. It's totally bonkers.
1: You were amazing as the narrator. I see what you mean about the tram conductor. I loved your little hat, (laughs) my fez, (laughs) and your suit.
2: Fez and my my suit, and I do. I look like a tram conductor. And
1: Jason Donovan, what a revelation! I know. Oh my god, he's incredible.
2: Yeah, incredible. And what a great team. Like just being around people like that who are so fit and so enthusiastic and just want to make something every night. And that's what it is, essentially. You are making something and there's all these elements that could mean it doesn't come together, but somehow they magically do. So you feel like you're creating something new every night and and that's what they do for a living and it blows my mind, you know. Like they're just it's, – it's, it's very energising being around people We You like could that.
1: see them huffing and puffing after some of the dance numbers because I was lucky to be about three rows back from the front and I was like – after these big dance numbers, you could see them. There's one particular one where they're all laying down and my friend Tamara, who was there with me, was like, look at them, look at their chest. They're just like, (gasps) (gasps) just trying to catch their breath because they're just giving their all. And I know what song
2: that is. It's Hot Patootie and they all hate it because it's the biggest (laughs) workout of the
1: whole show. (laughs) Well, they smashed it. It was so good to see you on stage and so good to have you back in Melbourne. It's lovely to be back in
2: Melbourne and lovely to see you.
1: We're both here. Some kind of sad news to kick off Bang On with this week, though must try to ignore that it means more than that
2: oh, what's love got to
1: do, got to do with it woke very early this morning to my phone pinging lots of people texting news coming through that Tina Turner has died at the age of 83 she was ill Um, We hadn't really heard much from her of late. She was part of a 2021 HBO documentary on her life. Yeah, I banged on about that a while ago, and it was brilliant. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be watching that this weekend. Yeah. But The Death of an Absolute Icon, one of the world's biggest recording artists, she sold more than 200 million records, and, of course, this was one of her biggest hits, What's Mm. Love Got to Do With It? Most of those records
2: sold after the age of 40. Yeah. Everybody said she couldn't do it. She wasn't young enough to be a pop star. She was a woman of colour, all of those things. And she came from nothing in that the money that she made through her collaboration with Ike and Tina Turner was basically lost. He she, left her or- penniless after the In divorce. order to get out of that relationship, she s- basically took no money and started from scratch again. Mm. And she is was an incredible incredible force in her own life but also in terms of global music and and how we perceive women who's relevant who's not she 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 was incredible absolutely incredible
1: what do you remember about like Tina Turner cuz for me my first introduction to her was as a little kid watching beyond thunderdome and just thinking seeing that you know flock of peroxide hair and that mm. incredible outfit like i think i would have been maybe 7 when that came yeah. out i was like who is this and then you of course you learn about her life as you become an adult you learn about the harrowing existence she had for so many years but for you like do you remember the first time you came across Tina Turner the nutbush
2: yes the nutbush and and that Australia is the only country in the world that does the nutbush and
1: no one knows why no where it began no one knows why
2: and i think it was about the 70s and Something in the curriculum across the country. I don't know what, maybe it was those lazy hungover days for teachers. <laughs> yeah, I think we've spoken about this before when they used to roll in the video machine or something. But what it is is the Madison. Do you know the kind of Madison dance, which was a 1950s American dance? It's just basically a couple of steps. Step touch, a couple of yeah. Kicks, kicks. Yeah, and I do the think it's kind of loosely based on that. Yeah. Someone started teaching it in our schools in the public education system, I think, because that's how I learned it. Yeah. Um, and now the whole country does it. We're the only country in the world that does the nut bush. Yeah. <laughs> And Nutbush, of course. And we bloody love it. Is where Tina Turner grew up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In a tiny little farming community in a very poor household. And Nutbush was the place where she came from, of course, yeah. the song that she sang. Yeah. Um. So that was
2: my first introduction, I think. And, of course, we knew Proud Mary mm. and uh, so many of those amazing songs. Um, but I was very, very into Tina when that big record came out of hers that sold however many gazillion copies um i i think i've told you this i did a dance in grade four roundabout to private dancer yeah. um, I forgot. You replicating the, the video uh you poor teachers yeah i know because <laughs> we know what that song's about I just thought it was about a wonderful, talented dancer that I thought I was at that point. Um, But Tina Turner, yeah, what an absolute powerhouse. Everyone said she couldn't do it and if you watch that documentary you'll see exactly why they said and how she managed to flip that narrative completely and she changed her life. Um, But she always knew. She always knew she had something.
1: She had that self-belief, didn't she? Yeah. And I think that's what drove her. She just knew, you know, she had something that she could carry on and that she could make something of herself Mm -hmm. without Ike Turner and, of course, leaving that horribly abusive relationship behind. Yeah. Yeah. She created her own story. She
2: created her own story and it was – she also created her own incredible hairstyle. That became who she was, mm. in a way. Like that was her. She had these amazing, you know, those powerful legs that everybody knows her yeah. of her. And then she also had this hairstyle that she's kept going all the way through, which I love as well. It's like a commitment to a a stage presence and a look. And she, you know, it's the kind of the beginnings of of what we see now. Yeah, that that sense of self that that is about the show and she was always about the show, and I love that.
1: Very much about the 80s as well, you know, the hairstyle, obviously, the big ballads, the mm. sort of synth sounds that oh, she yeah. did. They just nailed it. Like, she, you know, the kind of... The, the rebirth of Tina Turner landed at the right place and the right time. And the other thing that she had a really strong tie in to Australia was when she became like the face of the rugby league. That's right. Which reading about it today, because there's been lots of stories around her connections to Australia, which run very deep. She had an Australian manager who kind of helped her, was side by side with her in, in relaunching her mm. solo career. But she became this face of the rugby league, which a lot of people at the time were like, why is there this, you know, black American woman becoming the face of this Australian sport? But, of course, that was one of the biggest campaigns in Australian advertising and in Australian sporting history. Stroke of genius. Stroke of genius. And, of course, we know that Jimmy Barnes collabed with her on The Best, her huge hit song, around that time as well. I chatted with Jimmy about four years ago. He did the Take Five with me and he actually chose an Ike and Tina song, River Deep, Mountain High, and talked about the experience of seeing her for the first time in 1973. It was at the Apollo Stadium in Adelaide. It was a venue that I don't think exists anymore, but he, basically him and his mates would just kick down the back door and sneak in because they could never afford tickets. And they did that for the first Tina Turner show there. And they went right up the front and he went right down the front and stood in front of her and looked up and said it was a masterclass. You know, hearing her sing was like stripping paint in the best of ways. Mm -hmm. It was just a ferocious voice. And, of course, a decade or so later they'd collaborate on The Best, which became that anthem for the NRL. Simply the best. So good. I just wanted to share a bit of that because the way that Jimmy talks about Tina Turner is something that I think um, we can all connect with and just the power of the influence that she had on on him as an artist and as a singer you said that. Watch the video of that aside from the fact that you look like a baby <laughs> you just seem to be like physically you're just deferring to this legend oh, you look incredible. just
0: absolutely stoked uh, well, and the, all that
1: you're standing there well, the singing thing, with her
0: the thing was the rugby league they, they rang literally rang me this was one of the biggest It's almost 30 years to the day I think since that advertising wow. campaign started and, uh, and it was, for me, I remember watching when Tina did it, even the first song she did, and then, and then simply the best. I thought it was one of the best sort of marriages of of sport and advertising and music that I'd ever seen. It was such a great, great, you know, it got women and families into rugby league and all that sort of stuff. It was incredible. But... When they asked me to do it, they said, oh, we would like you to go and sing with Tina Turner. And I was a bit quiet, you know, because I was a bit shocked. And they said, we're going to pay you a lot of money. You know, they offered me this figure. And, and I, I sort of had to stop myself from laughing because I would have paid them. <laughs> <laughs> I would have paid them to go and sing. And I, and I literally went to I went to Amsterdam, flew to Amsterdam to sing with her. And in those days, you know, when I flew, I'd, I'd probably drink the plane dry. And I got there and it was a bit dusty. I had to get up and go to the studio the next morning at 10 o'clock and um, and... Not feeling the best and I got in there and I, and and there's Tina and I was like, Oh, gulp, you know. Um she was just incredible. And um and from the minute she opened her voice, opened her mouth up, it was just this this incredible voice like no warming up nothing it was just Im- um, unbelievable so I thought but I've got to get my game on here <laughs> and i have really got to try and um the best the best part of the thing was because she was a great she's really warm and she's really encouraging and and she's like a mum, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like a big mum. and um and I remember the, the director was who was filming the ad said he came in after after I sort of just started to settle down you know so I was just started to get over the shell shock of being in the room with Tina Turner and he said, uh, listen, we're going we're gonna to do a, a shot here. You guys stay in the studio here. I'm going to pan across through the room. And when it gets to you guys, just be dancing and have a good time. And then I'll pan through. And then so I was in sheer panic, you know, because anybody who's seen me dance, you know, like <laughs> I dance like an elephant tied to a tree, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so and I was just. she must have seen the panic on my face because she, she leaned over to me. And literally, while, the, while the, the director was walking out the room, she said, just stand still, honey. I'll make you look good <laughs> 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 she was so great you know and I and you know and I've, you know I'm not only a, I was, a, was a fan of, of the obvious ones I've listened to, I've got every sort of bootleg live you know and she's electric you'll watch her on um, what's, what's the Rolling Stones movie she's on it's just opening up at Alpmore yeah you know? yeah yeah unbelievable you know electric performer so uh, you know I just I just love Tina um, you know and uh, and um, it's one of the great blessings of my life that I got the chance to sing with her let's go back to where it all began. Here it is, River
1: Deep, Mountain High on Double J. It was so good hearing him talk about her. Just so excited. Yeah. And why wouldn't you be? She's, yeah, she's everything. I'll make you look good. I'll make you look good. (laughs) Just total command. That whole Take 5 is so brilliant with Jimmy. You can hear even more of that story about um, his working with Tina and just what she meant to him on the Take 5 podcast, if you haven't already. But yeah, a very sad loss. She lived a huge life. She wasn't just a survivor. She was an absolute queen and the legacy that she leaves is just enormous, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's how you want to leave the world, you know. I think people dream of contributing in the way that she has. Yeah. And she's done it through a lot of, lot of effort and a lot of hard graft but also so well deserved as well, yeah. What a legend.
1: So many tributes coming through as well. They're going to keep rolling through. Like we said, we just got this news in the last couple of hours. Um, But one of the ones that I just noticed that popped up was from Beyonce, who of course would have taken um, a lot of strength, a lot of inspiration Mm. from Tina Turner in her performance and in her life. Beyonce says, My beloved Queen, I love you endlessly. I'm so grateful for your inspiration and all the ways you have paved the way. You are strength and resilience. You are the epitome of power and passion. We are all so fortunate to have witnessed your kindness and beautiful spirit that will forever remain. Thank you for all you have done. Ah oh. Beyonce, I saw on stage I was just last say, weekend. Is this a can we can I ask? Can you ask? I'm one of one.
0: I'm number one. Don't even waste your time trying to compete with me. No one else in this world can think like
1: me. That's true. Don't even waste your time. No. After seeing this almost three-hour show in Edinburgh on Saturday night, I am just like, nothing will ever come close. What? What? A gig. really? Tell me about now. You caught a bus from London. I got a train? train. I got the train, the high-speed train, which was beautiful. I've never yeah. done it before. It takes about, about four, four or five hours. Yes, hours. yeah, glorious, yeah, gorgeous, and you can see the terrain change as well. I've never been to Scotland, so it's just really nice going somewhere yeah. new. The catalyst was Beyonce last week. I was in London for a week filming a couple of episodes of Take Five. I looked on, I was like, which hey, we can't on. talk about. We sadly. can't talk about." But they were both awesome. Yeah, good, incredible guests. Two people who have sold millions and millions of records and have had very interesting lives. Awesome. You'll see that later this year. But I just went, when I was heading over there, oh yeah, Beyonce's touring Europe at the moment. I wonder if she's going to be anywhere near London. And sure enough, on a Saturday night, Edinburgh. After we wrapped Take Five, she was playing Edinburgh, so we took the train, me and my executive producer Nikita, and we went and saw Beyonce.
2: Did she play in the uh, in the Edinburgh Castle where they have
1: the military <laughs> tattoo? No, but you know who is who's playing there? Bloody <laughs> Rod Stewart's going to be playing there. So Tonight's <laughs> the night. They were Get setting you. up the seating. Tonight's the night. I put my, pop my kilt on, love. What a special place to see a gig. No, slightly bigger. She was playing at the biggest stadium in Scotland, and that's pretty much what these tours are. They're yeah. big outdoor concerts. It's her summer renaissance tour. She's taking a risk doing an outdoor concert, though. It rained. It rained the whole time and this was the first time she said she's ever played in the rain and, yeah, she didn't hold back, though. She was wearing heels. There was a lot of dancing, a lot of movement, and there was nothing cut short even though it was raining. The crowd was incredible, standing in the rain for three hours and just giving their all. She said it was one of the best crowds she's had so far. It was just amazing. Actually, listen to this. This was one of my favourite moments of the show. 67,000 people are just like. Ah! This is just wild. Sixty-seven thousand people. It's bloody huge. It is huge. Have you seen any of the videos though of what she's wearing? No. Okay. Well, I made a reel. If you go onto my Instagram, it's get yep. a bit of a sense. But the costuming is insane. Like, there's a real chrome, silver, metallic vibe to it. When there's- did you post this on Instagram? Because I, you haven't been coming up on my feed. What's going on, I've Instagram? Off, I've dropped off your algorithm. I think you have. I'll
2: share it with you. I didn't get that. I would have looked at <laughs> that for sure. I'll show you, you all my stories. No, I But why,
1: why are you coming up in my Instagram? The Instagram algorithm has failed. I just captured as much as I could, um, even though my phone was draining completely, and that wasn't even the tip of the iceberg, to be honest. She played such an incredible set, very heavy on Renaissance on the record, great. and got that great sequencing flow that the album has, because it is a dance party, um, but also played plenty of old hits. She played Crazy in Love. Um, she played Formation. She played Black Parade. um, She just gave it all and when she was doing some of those elaborate costume changes, the sequencing of the songs and the performance just kept going. She had a moment where the band and her backing singers did a whole performance. She had another big moment where her dancers, including Le Twins, if you've seen Beyonce before, you know that she often has these two French dancers who have been with her since they were basically teenagers and they always collaborate with her on every tour. They came out for the show as well. And one of my favourite moments came towards the very final end of the show where she got all of her dancers to do ballroom, be voguing, which is what, you know, Renaissance is all about celebrating black queer culture. And that's where ballroom came from. That's where voguing came from. And so seeing that, to a crowd of you know almost 70,000 people and everyone losing their shit and just such an incredible crowd. Everyone was dressed up. It was so diverse in terms of the, the people there in the stadium and good Lord, Scottish people are friendly. The they further are. north you get, the nicer everyone is. They're, they're lovely. <laughs> they're bloody lovely. It was so, so good. Oh. I just loved it. So I don't know when she's coming to Australia, if she is. I know that there's something going on with the Sydney cricket ground where they're trying to get people to agree to having another concert because of noise restrictions and so that oh, she can Beyonce, fit in Oh, it's Beyonce, everyone. You'll be fine. I mean, I feel like that's the sentence, isn't it? It's yeah. Beyonce. You'll be fine. Yeah, just one night. <laughs> Enjoy it. Here's a free ticket. Just bend. Shush. <laughs> Or, in fact, don't shush. Yeah. Turn it up really, really <laughs> loud. Um, she was just amazing. I just loved it so much. Oh, so envious. That would have been brilliant. We'll see her again soon. She'll,
2: yeah, she'll, she'll come out. I
1: know people sure. who are travelling overseas to see her, though. It was yeah. really exciting to see the fourth show of this tour. Just, yeah. like, the energy was wild. It would have been. Because now that I know what it's
2: like putting on something that's tiny compared to that, but, like, everything's still a bit new and fresh. Yeah. So all the teams would be, you know, just... Kind of
1: like they've just put their hands in an electricity plug. There was a buzz. Yeah. In a good way. In a good way. The credit list for this show is 500 people. Oh. <laughs> Which, you know what? Justifies the ticket price that I paid. <laughs> really? What's it? Can I ask? What it, uh, it was £173. So $330 or yeah. something. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's worth worth it. Worth it. There were seats. Okay, I'll stop talking after this, but I was kind of curious because there's all these separate areas. There's the golden circle and then there's the, what was it called? The honey pot or something like that. Anyway, that was on stage rises as in like bleachers, risen seats on the actual side of the stage on either side. Guess how much those tickets were? Thousand bucks. Anywhere between 2500 and four thousand <gasps> American dollars oh my American dollars. How do we feel about that? Well, it was funny because a lot of people commented on my Instagram and they were like, "Um, this is weird that everyone in front of you is just like kind of still, they're not getting into it. and it's like they were getting into it, but also they'd paid six, thousand Australian dollars, <laughs> and they want to get a good video because Beyonce is right in front of them. Yeah, so that's probably what's going on there. Oh. But believe me, the crowd was into it. $6,000 yeah, yeah, you'd
2: forget. You'd be forgetting those people pretty quickly, I think. You'd be like, I hate you. I hate you up there. They
1: were very well dressed. Of course they were. They were fine. Can you explain to me what the hell's going on with this blue couch that's circulating <laughs> around? T- I just don't understand. I saw it and I was like, Miff will know what the frig is going on I with know, this I blue couch. I know, I
2: loved it. I loved it. I don't know anything about it. Are you across it? And I'm like, yes, of course I am. <laughs> Um, Look, I came across it on Twitter because there was a post about someone saying that um, I've left a couch out and it's haunted uh, outside in the street. But no, a couch was left and I was like, what's this? What? It didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I was thinking, how could a couch be haunted anyway? Look, a couch can have bad vibes, but I'm pretty certain it can't be haunted. So anyway, and then I started sort of seeing it pop up quite a lot. And uh, there's a great pedestrian article that says unpacking the viral cursed blue couch meme that's suddenly haunting your social media feeds. Now, the couch itself looks like... um, it's very hard to say. I think it would come out of the, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact era, sort of 70s or perhaps 80s. It's mm. electric blue in colour and it's it's like one of those modular couches in that it's one piece but it's got lots of little circular bumps. Mm. So it's quite ergonomic mm. and it's a simple couch. It's but a fashion it's also, couch. It's a desire. Couch, design couch. couch. It's a bubbly blue couch. Yeah. And um Apparently it's designed by some uh, very famous designer and it's worth a lot of money. And this woman, oh, roche Bebois, I think, Paris Bubble Couch is the official term for it. Um, And it sells for US 8K, which is about $12,000, our coin. I.e. rich people furniture.
1: Beyonce tickets.
2: Yeah, Beyonce. (laughs) People who've got Beyonce tickets have this couch. Um, a special Beyonce tickets, I should say. <laughs> anyway, so she's found this couch and she's done a, a TikTok video. Uh, the lady's name is Amanda Joy. Um, and the TikTok video shows her cleaning the couch, getting it all ready, being very excited, then putting it in her apartment, of which she probably pays thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for in New York City. Mm. She had like a, you know, freedom furniture kind of couch. It was right. pretty basic. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so this couch goes in and the internet's just blown up because, A, people are either pissed off that they didn't pick up this couch off the street themselves, given mm. it is worth $12,000, or, B, they can't believe that she's picked up this couch and it was so filthy dirty, even though she's cleaned it, because New York, of course, has a bed bugs issue. And so people are freaking out about the fact that she's taken this secondhand couch. I mean, really, have they not done hard rubbish in Melbourne? <laughs> No one gives a shit about that stuff. You just get your trailer out, you get your boot open, and round you go. And if I saw a couch like that, I would be there in an absolute flash. I think she's done a great thing, but like the internet (laughs) blew up with all these people freaking out about too involved, too many opinions. I know, and it just I think the fact that people are so obsessed with something like a couch, used furniture, um. It 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 says something about this moment in history where we're at. I'm not entirely sure what that is just yet. I'm still trying to work it out. But I think it's something to do with the fact that everybody wants these statement pieces. We'd love to be able to but no one actually can. So even when you manage to get one on the cheap, everyone's hating on you anyway. Yeah. So there's no there's no joy even in the second hand. Appreciation anymore? I was like, oh no, fuck you, fuck you. Why didn't I get it's that? So mean. I'm just gonna hate on your on your day. And then, of course, then it's moved on to people saying it's not an original, it's not a designer piece, it's a it's a knockoff. Basically, it's too
1: involved.
2: Too involved. Who cares? I do, I do, and that's why I followed it. But my favorite, <laughs> my favorite tweet that came out from it, and you know this one emmy wasn't i don't think she was prepared for this because emmy's not emmy's not wasn't huge on twitter until now she is she's got she's got 5000 followers now but on the couch she said you know she's just replying as everybody does and and this reply got 338000 likes ooh Has anyone seen my heavily squirted-on couch? I put it out on the sidewalk to dry this morning and now it's gone. (laughs) It looks like this. (laughs) And then she wrote, um, I've I've got to find the follow-up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, And then she wrote something like, I thought this would just be tweeted out to about five people. She goes, I, my life is is stuffed. Like, she is ruined by this tweet joke that she made to her friends. And you know what it says? I'm just really glad there are some people still on Twitter, even though Elon Musk has somehow managed to absolutely stuff that zone up completely. That's your takeaway from this. Yeah, there are still some funny people on Twitter. There's not many. No. But there are some.
1: That's amazing. Thank you for explaining the blue couch. I Jenny. know. Don't
2: you feel like you've just, I mean, really? It's, it, what are we doing? Why am I why wasting am
1: time? <laughs> <laughs> There's some great memes around this, which obviously being memes are very visual. I'll put a couple of those in the show notes as well if you want to follow it up. So, so good. You also shared something with me this week about sad songs, which really resonated. The reason people listen to sad songs. Why? I don't know. I still don't really
2: know from this article. It's rather lovely. It goes into lots of elements of why we need to listen to sad songs and why we want to listen to sad songs. But the the, the article essentially sums up that it is not even necessarily the style of music. It's a sense of connection mm. when we feel sad, which I think is lovely, and I think we've always been really well aware of that as people who love music. Mm it is about communing with your fellow human being it's not just about that solo journey it's mm. about understanding you're a piece of the puzzle of the world and everybody is somehow interconnected and the listening of sad songs is not necessarily about the music that you choose it's just an appreciate it's it's an appreciation of that connection if you're trying to understand or make your way in the world i mean i don't know i i can't listen to too many sad songs that's really? why this article is interesting i find it a little bit Sad. You avoid them. I don't watch sad movies. Hmm. I can't. I've never watched The Notebook. I hear that's sad.
1: <laughs> sad.
2: Can't watch scary movies either.
1: I can't watch scary movies, but I sort of. Do you do you watch sad movies or? Yeah, I mean, obviously, on the I... plane, I do, and yeah. I bore my eyes out. I know. And we'll I... get to that later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the
2: thing. I the only time I do cry is on a plane when I'm I've been caught out and I'm it's unexpectedly sad. Yeah. Or and the air cabin wrong... pressure, yeah, and I can blame <laughs> that. But otherwise, I avoid it like the plague.
1: I like listening to sad songs, and it's kind of interesting reading this article because it stemmed from a you know scientific experiment where they were trying to find out why people listen to sad songs. Mm. And yeah, that that one of the doctors that was involved in it, Dr. Nob, says you know you just you're feeling just alone, you feel isolated, and then there's experience where you listen to some music or you pick up a book and you feel like you're not so alone because sad music is layered, it's an onion. This explanation prompts Mm. more questions. Who are we connecting with? Are we connecting with the artist? Are we connecting with our past selves, an imaginary person? How can sad music be all about anything? Doesn't the power of art derive in part from its ability to transcend summary, to expand experience? I was kind of thinking about like, When I listen to sad songs, what am I doing it for? I used to listen when I wrote, you know, creatively because for most of my life I wanted to be a writer, I would put on some really intense bark or something that was really dark and Mm. use that as a trigger to be like, take myself into another place, into a gloomy place where I can write because it was an inspiration to me. Sometimes I listen to sad songs when I am sad because they make me feel like someone else understands what I'm going through. Sometimes I just listen to it because sad songs make me feel happy in a weird way, yeah. and I think that a lot of people have that experience too. But it's sort of like that. For me, it's kind of like I feel like it's it's both a salve, but also can be a trigger. So I'm like, I'm looking yeah. for something, and I and I know that I need a little nudge in this direction. I need a cry. You know, cut open the onion, yeah. make me cry. Put on a sad song, make me cry. Because crying is it's a, good it's, for you. It's a stress release, right? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you need that, and you kind of know you need that. But that's why I'm some so uptight. I just, can't,
2: <laughs> I need to go and listen to some sad songs and let it all out. We need those triggers. Absolutely, absolutely. It's interesting. I can't listen to music at all when I'm working. I hate it. Not even instrumental. No, distracting. Right. My brain can't do, it's like, it's off with it. So it's almost like it pierces me too much. I just can't get on with life. You need complete silence. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be silent.
0: What about
1: white noise? Do you ever listen to white noise? Vacuum cleaner? No. Well, that's not a pleasant sound. (laughs) Some people vibe uh, off uh, it. Off
0: the vacuum cleaner.
1: Oh my god. You do. No, I don't. You sure? No, nah, I'm i I'm sure. Am I it's getting a horrible a vibe? sound. Nah, it's no you, you-, you know what one of my most Spotify, most played is though? O- ocean sounds. Every night I go to sleep to ocean sounds. Do don't like rain sounds though. Ocean sounds, yes. Rain sounds, no. See, I don't like Very o- I don't like ocean sounds. I find ocean sounds stressful. My watch was just hearing me say ocean sounds. Like, do you want me to play it for you now, Zan? Because I'm always talking to it. Play ocean sounds. I'll stop it. No, don't do it now. Oh my god! So
2: you listen every night to ocean sounds? Yeah, it just it helps me drift away. That's nice. I'll never have a
1: house by the ocean, so I just
0: pretend you might I do. Just listen, sense.
2: and you'll never have a blue, a blue bouncy couch. So we might as well just hate on one on the internet with bed bugs. So are we just all living in a what's what's called a simulacra of what we really want, how we really want to live? We're just making them like sad or oceany, yeah. (laughs) Like rather than I think it's it's that sad acknowledgement that we are actually this is our lives now.
1: I think we just know acknowledge that we need a little push sometimes. We we all need inspiration, or we all want inspiration. Maybe is the better way Mm. to put it. And so if there's things that can help us do that to get there art mm. you know comedy sadness films yeah. then we go for it it's not always sometimes things are not just about learning or discovering or being entertained they're about expressing an emotion or triggering an emotion Absolutely. and well, music is a huge part of that
2: that's all well, that's why we've been doing it since the beginning of
1: time yeah. but what i loved about this study too is that
2: most of the respondents suggested that the music that they loved was not the perfect well produced highly produced kind of almost your muzak style mm. of music that that was designed to trigger emotions they didn 't say that that was actually the best type of music for emotional triggers. What they loved was someone showing their artistry, and mm. that in fact connected far deeper than the music that was created i mean we're we're looking towards a future where music will be created by ai mm. so people are investing big dollars into that at the moment it was nice to read something like this and and see an actual study whereby the respondents were saying it was the artistry that connected with them you know not the music that had been created perfectly
1: people want something human yeah yeah
2: so yeah ai music you know that's a that's a real red cross on any any thinking. I mean, have you heard that Drake and um, The Weekend? AI? I haven't listened to it yet, but I've seen yeah. people talking about it. Um, I think it just suggests that, that this stuff, you know, as much as record companies will be pumping heaps of money into it right now, I'm sure they are as we speak, um, I don't know if it'll ever connect quite the same as a human creation when at I s- this point.
1: When I saw Beck recently because he toured Australia and uh, he was here for Blues Fest and did a couple of sideshows, I saw him at the Palais Theatre in Melbourne and it was all acoustic, like it was all stripped back stuff and he's just such a great performer. Mm. But he was talking about AI and um, basically someone wrote him an email and said, oh, hey, I asked AI to write a a song that sounds like written in the style of Beck, Mm. um, and here it is. And he was like, oh, okay, here we go. And so he read it and then listened to it and he's like, so I'm going to play it for you now. And it was just (laughs) so bad and hilarious. And he just performed the whole thing. Um, and it was very bass, and uh, did have "Loser" in it. Oh my god! And, um, it sounded like some sort of eighties hair metal uh, lyric. Very basic. Because Beck's
2: music is all over the place. I mean, he's done those incredible country style albums. He's done, and also lyrically, you know, he says things that don't make sense. Was, <laughs> yeah, and "Loser" was like a totally different sound back then. So,
1: how would AI how do, you even do that? Come to make.
2: Something that would be a,
1: a combination of all of that. Incredible. Anyway, suffice to say at the end he's like, I think we're okay for a while, I at think, least for now. <laughs> I think we're okay for now. I think we're a okay. A couple of years, let's check back in, but for now we're okay. Yeah. Hey, before we bang on, I just wanted to talk about something that's been happening in the the media and specifically the ABC this week because it was I'm um, going down actually when I was just on my way back to Australia and, and filling my feeds and just devastating to see the experiences of – Legendary journalist and Wiradjuri man, Stan Grant, who opened up um, um, very bravely and spoke about the racism that he's been experiencing for a long time, but particularly in the wake of the coverage of the coronation. Mm. For anybody who didn't see it, the ABC broadcast the coronation beforehand, for an hour or so beforehand, there was a discussion around, you know, what it means to have a a British head of state still in Australia Mm. and colonisation and all the things that are associated with continuing, you know, that the way that it's always been and, of course, where it began, which is with the, you know, colonisation of Australia. Yeah, And I saw some of that coverage. I thought it was fair and balanced. A lot of people uh, got pretty upset about it um, in a way that wasn't intelligently. They responded with racism and cruelty and just Stan Grant has had enough. And I just think, well, fair bloody enough, but also once again it was he was he's all class mm. and the way that he spoke about this experience was beautiful and devastating and frustrating and i mean i can't even speak as a white woman to what it feels like to be an indigenous australian right now much less for the last more than you know 200 years yeah. but it's off. It just struck me that it's often the victims who are speaking out, you know, carrying that load of calling it out, of educating, and it's not their responsibility, and it really only furthers their trauma. So mm. I just wanted to say um, how sorry I am that this still exists. That Stan Grant felt unsupported by the ABC. Yeah, who our, have acknowledged own, our that. own workplace. Yep. Yeah, and uh, they've apologized. It's like how how does this how does this handled. Moving forward, what worries me
2: is that Stan is is a person of of great stature and respect, um, within the journalist community, and imagine what people younger without that respect are copying. People of colour, I can't imagine what they're copying, and and I think what Stan's done is hold up a mirror to this organisation and to lots of other organisations to say. You can't put us on these programs because he didn't produce the show that he was put on. He was asked to as a guest mm. without offering to back us up, mm. without offering to support us when we get attacked and, and deemed the figurehead of such discussions when he was asked to be on that program. And he contributed as a as a journalist. And so I think that's been a really big takeaway. This has been a big takeaway for me on on this, you know, um, we've got to protect the younger folk coming up too. Um, if we want a diverse media, it's got to be more than just, the, you know, lip service. Got to back them up also, and support them. And there's got to be there's got to be uh, text lines and things like that. I mean, I've always seen it as quite problematic. It's a nice way of communicating with audiences. But imagine if you're copying racism every day on that. That would wear you down. There's got to be some more protection. Got to be more protection for you, people in all workplaces.
1: You mentioned young people and protecting them from this kind of um, racism. Even further to that, I saw that Nookie, who hosts Blackout, which is a um, First Nations music program on, on Triple J, he was talking about uh, Stan Grant stepping back and just, you know, basically that he as a, as a journalist for years Australia, in Australia and internationally and across many different networks has created a space for people to go, okay, I can be there. Mm. I can, I can be what I can yeah, see, basically. Yeah. And having that is such a loss. So it's not just about protecting people from the shit things that happen, but also enabling a pathway and going, oh, this is actually what can be possible, um, in mm. in a in a media in Australia which is still incredibly incredibly white. So having that, um, losing that is terrible for the next generation too. And I hope Stan is doing okay. Yeah. I hope his family are doing okay. I wanted to share just a little bit of his farewell message um, that he gave at the end of Q&A on his final episode on Monday.
0: I'm not walking away for a while because of racism. We get that far too often. I'm not walking away because of social media hatred. I need a break from the media. I feel like I'm part of the problem and I need to ask myself how or if we can do it better. To my people, I have always wanted to represent you with pride. I know I might disappoint you sometimes, but in my own little way, I've just wanted to make us seen. And I'm sorry that I can't do that for a little while. To my family, I love you. And to my mum and dad, Good night.
1: The whole speech is really incredible. Mm. He's um, an incredibly strong person, brilliant journalist, very sad loss for the ABC and he hasn't quit but he's stepping back. We don't know what the future holds but I will um, put that whole speech in the show notes if you want to watch it. Highly recommend. Yep, absolutely. What are you
2: banging on about this week? Oh, what am I banging on about? The, The TV show that everyone seems to say, have you watched this yet? Jury Oh, my
1: God. I started watching on the plane yeah. on the way home. It's so
2: funny. It's so funny and it's so cute, but I'm also really conflicted about it as well. I, I'm i not sure I love it as much as everybody else loves it, but it's definitely worth watching.
1: Can you set it up for anybody who doesn't know? Yes. And, and there's no spoilers here because the idea of it is set up from the very first episode.
2: Yeah, it, it's a it's a mockumentary chronicling jury duty and a bunch of people who are brought together to do jury duty. Everybody on this jury is fake. The case is fake. But there is one person who is not, and that is Ronald Gladden, who is a tradie, a rather delightful tradie, who somehow manages to get involved in this jury, he he thinks, somehow, um, he replied to an ad on Craigslist where they asked for people to do jury duty and be filmed, and he said yes. And Ronald is the most delightful person that you can watch <laughs> on television. He never says anything bad. It's it's very meta. He's the observer almost of the group who are a bunch of freaks put together, magnificent, <laughs> beautiful freaks, all put together to work on this case which is quite ludicrous and all these things go wrong. He's the observer, but we're observing him and that's my conflict, I think. It, it feels like they've—they've they've been the producers and directors have been very careful not to make him the butt of the jokes because I think if they did, it would feel really, really mean because mm. essentially the entire series is about a joke on a person who doesn't know that yep. it's a joke. So that kind of makes me feel really uncomfortable and anxious. I, I, I struggle with that a little bit because I, if that was me, I'd be – Absolutely fucked off at the end of it. I'd wasted my time. I thought I'd made friends with all these people and none of them are my friends. They're just actors. I would be so upset. But he's such a lovely person. I haven't seen the final two episodes yet, but he's such a lovely person. You know that he won't be upset. Mm. He'll just chalk it up to an amazing experience because he has a beautiful positivity and an optimism about life uh, that – will obviously shine through and and they've set him up in the most beautiful way. He's not a critical person. He's not, he's not a negative person. There's nothing about this that's going to come back and reflect badly on him but it's a really fine line. It's a really fine line and, yeah, if it was me, I'd be suing.
1: I wonder if he had to sign a release form and I'm sure he, he did. He would have. So in that way, it's like whatever way it went, they were still going to broadcast it? Yeah, they have played on his innocent naivety <laughs> <laughs> to go,
2: yeah, sure, I'll do it. And you know, not having worked in TV, so there is a lot about this that makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah, incredibly uncomfortable. And I can't say I love it, but I also love it. Like it's, it's very, it's I'm I'm on both sides of the fence here. It's a really enjoyable watch, and he's so he's so watchable, and the and the acting is great. It reminds me of you know those early Christopher Guest movies, Best in Show, and Waiting for Duffy. Yeah, totally. It's got that vibe, yeah. but it's also got that. You know that real appreciation of of humanity, rather than just, you know, the office sent us off on a different kind of tangent, almost. There were a lot of, lot of mockument- It was there were too many mockumentaries. I feel like this is this is harking back to the glory days, bringing it back of the mockumentary where it's a bit of
1: fun. It also reminded me because I was watching um, again on the plane. I Not was saying like, the
2: office is dark or anything, but I just I do feel like it set us up for a few more. It got
1: a bit more serious. Yeah, a few
2: more that we didn't need. Yeah, to- you know? totally.
1: Totally. The, I finished off watching The Rehearsal, which is one of those shows that I'd just forgotten about. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll just watch the final episodes. And we talked about that when it first kicked off on Bang On, which was the Nathan Fielder very strange show, which I'm not going to try and re-explain, but if you know it, you know it. This is way more direct and just easy to watch than The Rehearsal, which is deeply meta and strange mm. and like what the hell is going on and can be like kind of frustrating at times as well. But Jury Duty is just pure joy and James Marsden, the famous actor from like X-Men and Westworld, like total hunk, plays himself and he's just plays the wanky Douche. actor so well. He's so funny. He's, he's so, so good, good in this.
2: He's so good. I mean all the situations are set up but there's a lot of ad lib and it's, it's beautiful. Like watching this gorgeous Ronald who is trying to work out who James is and then goes through the movies and then goes home and and watches watches a DVD, (laughs) like DVDs. He watches DVDs. Like he's beautiful. He's so pure, isn't he? Yeah, he's really pure, pure, which makes me angry because I feel like he's been taken advantage of. But also it's beautiful. So,
1: yeah. I think he was okay with it because I actually saw a couple of weeks ago Beverly Wang and Benjamin Law who do the great podcast Stop Everything. They did an interview with him. And if he's doing interviews. He's, He's all right. Again, he just is the friendliest person in the world. Yeah,
2: he's probably <laughs> but, loving it.
1: But hes I think he's enjoying his time in the sun. Yeah. Um, no one got hurt, which is good. No. The case itself is very funny too. But, yeah, highly recommend. I am only watched three episodes and I'm so keen to dig into more. Mm, mm. So good. It's on um, Amazon Prime if you've got it. That's correct. And I'm still using a BangFam's um, login on that. What are you going to do if they're starting to crack down on that? Netflix has started charging for sharing passwords. You, the look of... Absolute I've got fear my on your face. I've got my own. I've got a, the only one I've got is Amazon Prime from
2: BangFam. Thank you so much, Georgia. I think it is Georgia. Your ace. I love it. I'm trying not to click on your mum's because um, there's like you, mum, the kids. I'm trying not to click on to muck up her algorithm because I hate to. I hate to know what she's watching. I never look. Okay, I never look. It's
1: very private. You gotta be careful about what you watch as well, though. I know. Well,
2: I think Georgia was on episode eight of this, and I think I've mucked it up for her because now I'm only up to six. She's going to come back and go, that's not where I was. I think it's Georgia. I'm sorry if I got it wrong. I'll correct
1: it next week. Beautiful bang fam. Always here we for you with the passwords. Fam. That's right.
2: That's so good. Um,
1: what are you banging on about? Oh, look, I saw so many movies because that, that flight to London is a real killer, And um, but I actually made the most of it and caught up on a bunch of films that I really wanted to watch. So highly recommending – Women talking, which is the amazing Sarah Polly film. Oh yes, um, about a religious sect where there was abuse of women, and the women basically started talking to each other and decided that things were going to change. Incredible film, pretty dark. So heads up if you know trigger warning for mm. the content that, that that's covered there. But incredible film. I cried my eyes out to a man called Otto, the Tom Hanks. Film that's oh, you watched that? Based, yeah. Well, actually, it was a perfect plane movie. Yeah, but also um, based on that bestseller, A Man Called Ove, which is a, I think, Swedish bestseller. Mm. And did you watch it? No, you look- I don't
2: like Tom Hanks. <laughs> just straight up,
1: I don't. I don't choose to watch his movies. I wish the Bang Fam could see your face. <laughs> oh, you watched that? <laughs> well, I,
2: I mean, I really like Tom Hanks. He seems like a really nice person, but I just. I don't know. For some reason, I just don't really go for his movies. Can't, Tom Hanks plays Tom Hanks, doesn't I watched he? Him in the, I watched him in the Elvis one. That was pretty good. He had a prosthetic. Where he was playing the Colonel. Yeah, playing the Colonel Tom Parker. But yeah, yeah I just don't go out of my way. I've never watched the one with the ball.
1: Wilson, yeah, what's it called? I don't know. Uh, abandoned, escaped. Fuck. Um, <laughs> no, so it. My
2: brain. What's it called? Sorry. There's a real gap. Castaway. That's it. There's a real
1: gap <laughs> in my in
2: my popular culture knowledge when it comes. to We'd be to so him.
1: shit at Jeopardy. Like, <laughs> what's it called again? <laughs> I know. Um, and the other ones that I watched were. Marcel, the shell with shoes on. Oh, that looks so cute. It is so beautiful. Cried for that one as well. Like, it's just adorable and short and fun. The Fableman's. I know it's a big bang, but I watched a lot of movies. The Fableman's is the Steven Spielberg based on his childhood story. Oh, that one. You know what? It's pretty much all about his mum and really fantastic in that way. And Michelle Williams as his mother is brilliant. It's very. Very good. It was totally not the film that I was expecting it to be. See, that's good because I didn't watch it. Given I, d- I, I, I didn't want to watch it. Went, it. Oh, it's like no, I, don't I don't want to no. watch a thing of his childhood, but it's totally not what you expect. Great. And I would say the same about Tar. Oh, I love Tar. Oh my God! <laughs> so the the trailer for Tar is completely different to what the actual film is, right? Like the ta- oh, I don't trailer know. I... made the trailer made it look like it was a thriller. Yeah. Um. And it is, you know, there are moments, but it's like the way that the trailer was cut was completely different to what the actual film is. I just thought that was an incredible film. Mm, just that's... watching Kate Blanchett act the shit out of it. Yeah. She loves it. Just having an
2: act. She, yeah. She loves it. <laughs> she just... Yeah, she's so good. She's so good in it.
1: I was gonna save some of those and just sort of and I'm probably gonna regret it next week and I'm like, Oh, I've got nothing to bang on about. But it was a big it was a big watching session. Oh, no, we want you we want your capsule reviews. It was a big bang. Yeah. I had a big bang on the plane. <laughs> Survived. It was all good. Hey, next week, just wanna give you a heads up. It's gonna be the final of Succession. Yeah.
2: Um, I haven't watched it past the the controversial episode that we discussed. Mm. So I've got a lot to catch up Big on. episode three or four. Yeah. Do you reckon you'll be able to catch up by next week? Let's see.
1: Is it finishing <laughs> next week? Yep. Oh, God.
2: Too much TV, Zan.
1: There's too much TV. Okay. We'll see how we go. I mean, you've I got not, not much on. You're just performing every night with Rocky Horror. That's fine. <laughs> All good. She's got a job. Yeah. Well, we'll see. If we do, though, we will... Talk about succession at the very end of next week's episode. Yeah, no spoilers. So we'll make it nice and easy for you. Don't don't be afraid of bang on next week is what we're saying. Yeah. Don't fear the bang. <laughs> hey, it's so nice to be in your physical space again. Yeah,
2: it's lovely to see your face. What a joy. I know. Um, see you next week. See you next week. Bye, babe. Bye. Bang. Bang. Bang.
1: Bang. 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 Bang on. Who is the Gen Z
2: bimbo? It's a great question, with an even better answer, which I promise to give you in the new season of Schmeitgeist. Schmeitgeist is a podcast from ABC Every Day where we unpack the biggest, weirdest trends in pop and internet culture, hosted by me, Angela Schlavois pierre This season, we want to know, can calling yourself a bimbo be feminist? A day in the life of a Gen Z bimbo. How did an entire generation get mad at
1: capitalism? Everybody is going to be permanently a renter.
2: Is it true that TikTok somehow makes ADHD look cool? And why are high-end fashion brands referencing Christianity? This is a huge trend. God is trending. For answers... Subscribe to Schmeitgeist on the ABC Listen app and follow me down a new rabbit hole every Wednesday.